Chapter 19 of The Campfire Girls Amid the Snows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Diana Schmidt. The Campfire Girls Amid the Snows by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 19 Memories. Betty arrived at her home before her visitors. Esther was engaged for another half hour with a music lesson, and besides, Betty wished to see that the house was in order for her visitors. It was a curious sensation to come home alone and to wander from one end of the big house to the other, hearing only the sound of her own footsteps, for Mrs. Mitchell, the caretaker, was in the kitchen preparing afternoon tea to be served the guests a little later, while her husband was working in the yard. Betty had an uncomfortable feeling of desolation, as though she were a kind of a ghost. First she went straight to her mother's room, but there the pictures were covered with sheets, the mattress rolled up, the curtains down, and the tables and mantels so bare of ornament that Betty hurried away to her own blue sitting-room across the hall. Would her father and mother never be back? Surely they would both be returning in the early summer, when the weather would be less severe upon her father's health, and the great house would be reopened as it had always been. At the cabin with the other girls the time had not seemed so long to Betty, nearly ten months now since their sailing, but here at home, why, it seemed that years might have passed. A sudden fear clutched the girl's heart. Would things ever be quite the same again? Did life ever repeat itself in exactly the same old way? And yet Betty had no regrets, only pleasure, that she had been the moving spirit in the first organization of the Sunrise Camp Fire Club. How much they had learned in their summer and winter together! And though she might count herself as having learned least of all, yet surely she would never be quite so spoiled and selfish as on that May day when she had accidentally discovered Esther Clark singing the campfire hymn in their formerly deserted back room. When her mother returned, she would relieve her by taking care of the housekeeping upon her own shoulders, and certainly she would be able to cut down expenses. Now that her father's income was so reduced, this would be a great assistance to him, as Mrs. Ashton had no idea of possible household economies. Betty smiled, not in the least mournfully. There was no thought of any real poverty to be grappled with in her mind. She was only considering in what an unexpected fashion she was going to be able to show her mother and father the benefits of her campfire training, for which she had pled so earnestly not quite a year before. The young girl was in her own room at the time of these reflections, seated in her own blue rocking chair with her feet tucked up under her and her chin resting in her hand, looking out her open window at the desolate garden, for this April afternoon was just as cold and uninspiring as that other May afternoon, and there was also no fire in her grate, although downstairs a big blaze had been lighted for the expected company. That Betty had changed in the past year, her parents would be able to see readily. 
Really, she was prettier than ever. From her outdoor life, the color in her cheeks was deeper, her lips a more vivid scarlet, and the selfish, sometimes discontented lines about her mouth and forehead had wholly disappeared. Now thinking of her parents' return, of how she would be able to prove her love for them by greater devotion to her father in his ill health, that perhaps he would even teach her something of his business cares and responsibilities since Dick would be so long away completing his medical studies. Her expression was very thoughtful and charming and her gray eyes unusually serious. Yet the next instant, with a gay laugh, Betty jumped to her feet. My goodness, I must hurry downstairs and see how the drawing room looks, she exclaimed aloud. I have been forgetting what an interesting interview we are going to have this afternoon. Dear me, I wonder what the trouble is, and why Esther and I should be privileged to attend this romantic meeting. Perhaps there is going to be some kind of marriage contract, arranged in German fashion, and Esther, Rose, and I are wanted as witnesses. It matters not, just so I am allowed in the secret and Betty started running down the hall. However, before arriving at the front steps, a moment's hesitation overtook her, and she paused. The next second, she had gone to the end of the passage and stood with her hand on the doorknob of the very room where she had once surprised Esther. But today she could hear no sounds of singing on the inside. I am going to peep into Esther's old room, I wonder if she will wish this same one when she comes back to live with us again. Somehow it must affect me like the locked chamber did Bluebeard's wife. There isn't the least reason why I should be peering into this empty place today. The door opened quickly, and Betty gave a sudden scream of terror. The room was not unoccupied. Someone was kneeling over in a corner by a closed window. The figure rose slowly to its feet. I am sorry, Betty. I didn't mean to frighten you. Really, dear, I didn't dream of your coming in here. It was Esther Clark. In the half-light, Betty was now able to distinguish her perfectly. Esther's face was extremely white, and there were tears in her large, pale blue eyes, and her lids were red and swollen. Her big hands worked nervously as they had on that former occasion when Betty had thought her so plain and unattractive-looking. "'Oh, it's you, Esther!' Betty exclaimed in relieved tones. "'Gracious, how you startled me! But I thought you were taking your music lesson. What in the world is troubling you, child, and how did you get into this house and upstairs without my knowing?' I came in through the kitchen and crept upstairs as quietly as possible, since I wanted to be alone here for a few minutes, Esther explained. Will you please leave me for a little while? Most certainly not, replied Betty in her most autocratic tones. If you have anything on your mind that is worrying you, come on downstairs and tell me what it is. You have a dreadful, tiresome fashion, Esther, of just hugging your grievances to yourself, when, if you just told outright what they were, there would probably be nothing for you to fret about. Betty was annoyed, and her tone was far more irritable than usual. 
nevertheless esther crossed the short space between them and taking betty's lovely face between her hands kissed her two or three times in succession do as i tell you princess please she spoke in unusual tones of authority i will join you downstairs in a very little while but i must get back my self-control first so there seemed to be nothing left for betty but obedience so plainly did esther appear to know what she wanted very slowly the younger girl walked down to the drawing-room esther did find it difficult to confide things to people but usually she was willing to tell them to her betty thought well perhaps her shyness and reticence came from having been raised in an orphan asylum where no one was really deeply interested in her or her personal affairs nothing very serious could have happened however since esther had left school only about an hour before in the drawing-room everything was far more cheerful the fire was burning the window-blinds were drawn up the grand piano was open and on it rested a vase of white roses it was perfectly impossible for betty ashton to learn to be economical all at once and with the thought of a possible betrothal in the house that afternoon she had stopped at a florist's and brought the flowers in with her now she could not help feeling a little glow of pride over the beauty of their old drawing-room especially noticeable after the simplicity of the living-room at the cabin feeling rather nervous over the idea that esther might probably be continuing with her crying upstairs and so unable to take part in the coming interview betty walked slowly around the great room studying the portraits of her ancestors a favorite amusement with her so long as she could remember they were stern persons most of them betty did not believe that she could ever have such strict views of the difference between right and wrong be so harsh in her judgments as they had been but then the world had moved on to a wider vision since those days one of her great-great-uncles had assisted in the burning of witches betty turned from this self-righteous-looking portrait to the picture of the aunt whom she had always believed herself to resemble the young woman in the white dress with the big picture hat then the girl smiled at her own vanity how absurd to think that she could look like anyone so lovely and yet here was the auburn hair only a shade more golden than her own big eyes that were blue instead of gray in a kind of proud fashion of tilting her chin very probably betty had always held her own head in this fashion because she had always so wished to be thought like this special great-aunt well it was a good thing to feel a certain pride of ancestry the young girl thought in spite of all of polly's teasing surely the possession of a great name ought to keep one away from littleness or meanness make one strive to fill an honorable position in the world if she had not the ability to be a great woman certainly she intended to be a good one and then the recollection of esther came to her again poor esther who had not even a name of her own for this very reason had she not always been more ambitious for her friend than esther had seemed for herself if she had no position no money and no family 
Esther did have a real talent and must make a place for herself some day. But there sounded the first ring at the doorbell. Let one hope it was not Air Crippen arriving first, since with Esther still upstairs, how could she ever hope to keep him entertained until the arrival of the others? But probably the elderly violinist had never seen anything quite so handsome as their drawing-room. Betty had the grace to laugh and then blush over her own foolishness, snobbishness, Polly might call it. What did she know of Air Crippen, his past, what he had seen, where he had traveled in the forty-five years or more of his life? With a smile of welcome and her hand extended, Betty then moved forward toward the door to receive her first guest. End of chapter 19